Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening and let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, today I am thrilled to have on an absolute expert when it comes to parenting and taking care of the next generation. Uh, Sarah Hannah Radcliffe is a very well-known Instagram personality. She's written multiple books. She's appeared on multiple podcasts. She has quite a few courses for parents. And I had the tremendous opportunity of sitting down with her and speaking about how do we approach this challenging thing called being a parent? And is it just you know, kind of hold on and figure out as you go, or are there actual steps and strategies to use that will allow you to raise your children to be calm and good people and relaxed and, uh, you know, have, not be living in the, in the whirlwind. So personally, I can say this is very, very helpful for me, and I hope you also find it equally valuable. So with no further ado, Sarah Hanna Ryan. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this podcast has been brought to you by me. Jacob Rupp and Jacob Rupp's Consulting, uh, technically Lift Your Legacy. Now, I have to be honest, I help clients often get out of their own way. And something that has really held me up was exactly the same thing, that I was in my own way. For months, people have been saying, you know, talk about your coaching, talk about how you help people, share it, etc. And I had a really hard time putting it out there. Why? Because it's not that I don't think I do a great job. I've seen amazing results from my clients, you know, 10X, uh, more than that, businesses, fixed relationships, um, helped people lose a lot of weight, people go on the path of, of making goals and fulfilling their goals, all of these things. I know I do it. And I've been in the coaching space long enough to know that there's a lot of people that don't really deliver. And the ones that do really deliver are, are worth literally their, their weight in gold because so often we're held back by stuff. And it's just like, if only I could get over that. If only I could work through that. And I help people do that. But for me, my big holdup was sharing that I do this in a big way, in a public way, especially on the podcast, because it's awkward. I don't want people to think, oh, I'm just making the podcast to, to sell you stuff or to talk about stuff. So that, that's not what I'm doing. Um, my point is like this. My coaching business is expanding. I'm taking on a few more clients. If you are someone that is struggling in the area of self-esteem, goal setting, health, relationships, or your, or your business, really, um, reach out. I don't know if we're a good fit to work with each other. What I can guarantee you is that we'll get on the phone for half an hour. Uh, I'll hear the kind of challenges you're having. You'll get a good feel if you don't know me yet of the kind of work I do, kind of program I would recommend for you. And if it's a great fit, we'll move forward. And if not, not. But I wanted to appreciate very much from the bottom of my heart, the fact that you guys all listen. I appreciate the amazing guests that I have. And I'm really thrilled to have broken through in my own life to the point where I could actually devote a segment to really make a somewhat long-winded, but I think very important advertisement. So if you want to reach out to me, the email is rabbi, R-A-B-B-I, Rupp at gmail.com. And the website is liftyourlegacy.live. 
and at lift your legacy, lift underscore your underscore legacy on Instagram. I think it's pretty simple. You, you know where to find me because you found the podcast. Thank you so much. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm thrilled to have today Sarah Hanna Radcliffe, who is just about as, as well known as it comes in the realm of children's behavior and uh, positive mindset and positive parenting in the Jewish world. And I'm really thrilled to have her on today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So, Sarhana, how, how did you get started in this? Like, just, like you're so positive. You have such a, a, um, a straightforward way of, of handling the, the challenge or the opportunity we know as parenthood. Like, what was your path to getting to where you are today? It was really accidental. I actually thought that I would be a speech therapist. That was what I was aiming towards. I was studying communication, language, psycholinguistics. And somewhere along the way, I ended up taking a course on uh, children with learning disabilities. I was just part of the curriculum. And I ended up volunteering in a clinic for children with learning disabilities. And they had a parent education department. And I was there for, I don't know, it was 10, 15 years as a student and then a, vo a volunteer and working and then I, directing the clinic eventually and running those parenting groups um, where I became very uh, interested and this is back in the 1970s, before parenting books, classes, and whatever really took, took off. There was one parenting book out there called Parenting Book. In the there, what's that? Dr. Spock, was that the... Well, Dr. Spock, yes. That's the 50s. <laughs> and then, and then and by the 1970s, there was something called parent effectiveness, parent effectiveness Training, which I taught to all the parents. And then slowly, books started coming out, and um, I just really found that more interesting than my original... Um, plan to be a speech therapist and I just veered off in that direction and then um, I accidentally also as a result of that ended up doing psychological counseling which is something that also I had never really saw myself doing but as a result of working with individuals and learning that most people at that time were coming to therapy to work out the pain of their childhood uh, experiences with their families um, it really solidified in my mind that in parenting incorrectly can inadvertently cause developing human beings a lot of pain and struggle that doesn't need to be there. So I merged these two things together and said, okay, look, there's, we, we've got to do something to help parents who are well-intentioned and just do a better job. Okay. So like, I, I love that. Tell how for, a, what's the, what's the big challenge is that oftentimes we don't see parenting is something that we need to train exclusively for, even though we probably should, we kind of play it by yeah. ear. And then oftentimes yeah. our kids are already misbehaving when we're like, Hey, does anyone know how to do this? So tell me a little bit about how you would advise or, or what the, what the path is really to, to positive parenting, to raising children that are happy and, and not in the therapist chair by the time they are whatever five. No, no guarantees that we can ever raise a child who's happy because um, there's lots of things that go into it besides the parenting. For example, uh, a perfectly well-parented child could be abused by a teacher or, or a peer or, you know, and have traumatic experiences that affect their development of the personality. Or a perfectly lovingly parented child can have be born with genes that make the child's internal worlds just full of difficulty, struggle. The kid is working against himself uphill all the time. So I don't, hold parents accountable for making a happy child. I just want the parents to do the best part they can do with their part, okay? Yeah. How, so so what's what's the best? How do we, how do we meaning like how do, uh, first of all, perhaps you could, it, 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 so from your from your viewpoint, does everybody need parenting classes? Does, does, is the world where it is today that 
it doesn't really make sense to try this on your own that you should expect to, edu- to need to educate yourself. That's, that's question one. And the question two is like, how do we do our best job? I, I really believe that everything we want to do naturally in parenting produces the worst results. <laughs> it's, like, it's like our natural instincts are horrible. All right. Um, like just, I can give you a million examples, but give me one. We, yeah. Do you want one? <laughs> um, here's, you know, a, um, you know, a kid is a two children are sitting at the table and, um, they're squabbling and one, um, uh, yeah, the, the mother comes in the room and sees that uh, her little boy throws some food at the little girl. And the, and the mother says, um, we don't throw food. Get away from the table now. Go to your room. You know, the kid gets up, runs to his room, slams the door. I hate you. I hate this house. I hate this family. I hate everybody. You know, and the question is, well, what was the mother doing? Were you here this morning? How did you know that? Just kidding. <laughs> the thing is, the mother was just doing what comes naturally. Like, what? You're, you're throwing food at my other child? Like, get out of here. You know, like, leave. Like, I have to punish you. I have to do something. And that comes partly naturally and partly from what we've been exposed to as children ourselves. It's what our parents did or whatever, you know? Um, the question, if you, if you studied parenting, um, then you would know that, okay, this child is experiencing frustration something the sister did um triggered was a trigger for him and under those conditions he behaved like that and that's a problematic behavior that needs to be retrained into uh, an appropriate behavior on how to deal with it when you're when you're feeling feelings of frustration your fight or flight chemistry is starting to rev up inside there what should you do exactly so the parents really have to frame this properly and then know how to intervene and that's not natural that is something that we're going to have to learn so what, just if I could restate back what, what, I'm, what I'm hearing you say is that oftentimes we are responding to actions and the first step is to start learning how to, I guess, unbiasedly, um, uh, um, I'm missing the word, but unbiasedly analyze the feeling, just like what are, what are my kids feeling and then what do I do to alleviate or to retrain a child who is feeling this way to behave in a different way? It's actually bigger than that because it's not always about feelings, but um, certainly it's a bigger picture. The question is, what is happening right here? Okay, and and there's um, in that scenario where there's fighting or there's an inappropriate thing. Let's say um, a mother says or a father says no to a child. The child says, "Can I stay up later? Can I go out to my friend's house?" And the answer happens, "Can I have a cookie?" The answer happens to be no. Okay, and so then the child has this huge meltdown again. I hate you. You never do anything but whatever. You know, <laughs> so. Um, we want to look at that like what happened right and, and there's so many things that are going on there again this is if we if we look at it um yes there's a frustration intolerance there for this child that is a feeling like i didn't like your answer okay um then there's a behavioral wiring pattern because once the kid has done that once the brain learns that and just keeps doing it this is my response to the word no and it's a neurological problem and we need you know to build new wiring in the brain so that the word no which is a trigger to this particular child goes down a different path. And that path is laden with emotional self-control and, and certain new behaviors and so on. Um, but the, but there's more than that. The whole parent-child relationship here may be off. You know, like maybe no is always the answer. Maybe the kid is right, you know? Maybe there's a lot of negativity going on here. Maybe there's an emotional problem. There's a huge, like there's so many questions to ask and, and so many directions we need to go into. So uh, what's, what is, 
I'm only using an example from, I, I enjoy martial arts a great deal. And so in, in the jujitsu world, there's like 10,000 things I have to learn that all have to sort of go right at the same time. And sometimes it's overwhelming. How do you, where do you start off? Meaning you're right. Like maybe the dynamics have always been messed up or maybe the kids feeling, you know, um, intimidated or, you know, not loved or whatever it is. So how do, I guess you could say, how do parents start or what should we start on when we get on this path towards more positive parenting? I mean, the first thing is to realize that there are very few parenting emergencies, okay? Now, a kid standing in the middle of the road, that's an emergency. Got to get the kid out of the room. You want to scream, go ahead, get the kid out of the road, rather. Get, go ahead, scream, okay? Get the child off the road. But apart from things like that, the kid sticking his hand right in the fire, whatever, there's very few emergencies. Therefore, when the kid says, no, I hate you, whatever it is, um, the parent doesn't have to respond immediately. If the parent is studying a little bit about parenting, they can step back and say to themselves, um, I need to think about what just happened here and kind of just leave the scene. And when they have time, maybe six hours later in the evening, it's quiet, just look at, well, what is going on? You know, uh, Sometimes it's the, the child has that nature that he's born with and a little bit of uh, complementary medicine and, and you know, naturopathic, um, you know, something rather will help him and he won't be screaming like that anymore. Or sometimes the parent-child relationship is off or sometimes it's just the behavioral part that needs to be corrected. Like, but you can't even begin to ask what's wrong in that moment. So don't, don't do anything in that moment, okay? There's very few parenting emergencies. So just like step back, that's the first thing. That's fantastic. How, how did you, or as you, as you built your practice and, and sort of fuse the two worlds of parenting and psychology, how, when did you start to notice, or like, I'm curious how this fits into the Jewish world. Did you just have the training and as a, you know, as, a, as an Orthodox Jew, you realized like you could speak to your own community or were there components within the Torah that you felt, you know, complemented your learning? I'm sure, I'm sure there is. But like, how did you transition from a, a person running workshops to someone that really has built, a, thank God, a platform where you are one of the, one of the go-to people when it comes to how do you pause, you know, positively parent your children? Um, I don't think about the, how that started, but the um, concept of Jewish psychology is like, there's so much wisdom in Torah. Um, so we have things like the, all the laws of Kibbutz Aim. For a good uh, 10, 15 years there, I was heavily involved in um, working with something called Project Derech, just for example here. This is not the whole story, but it's kind of part of the story. Um, where we looked at how um, the mitzvah of honoring parents actually inculcates certain traits of self-control, appreciation, sensitivity, and humility. And those traits are, will serve a person well in all of their future relationships with their adults, or like with their peers, with their spouses, with their colleagues, with their children. So just for example, um, the law of um, honoring parents requires a child to not start to eat the food that's in front of them, until his mother and father are eating. Okay, so you're sitting at a table and the mother's been cooking all day and she puts this food in front and the kid gobbles it up before the mom sat down, okay? Which says like, you're the servant and I'm the king and bring me some more. And this wasn't even good enough or whatever, you know? So what we have here instead is a child who has to wait. Now, fortunately, most of our children are not starving. They probably ate five minutes ago, okay? So now this food's in front of them and um, the child is waiting to see the mom lift the fork. The father's waiting too. As soon as mom lifts the fork, 
the father eats, the mother eats, and now the children eat. Now, by the way, this used to be normal manners in houses in the world, okay? <laughs> uh, if you were a guest, you would wait until your host ate. And that's also actually a law uh, in the Torah, wait until your host eats. Um, but certainly wait until your parents eat. It's like you're sitting at the king's table and you're starting, the parents are, are considered king and queen, and you're starting to eat before the royalty. Like, this is not okay, okay? So you need to hold back. And in holding back, there's that self-control. That's that their humility. That's my parents. I don't eat before my parents. Just for example, okay? Um, and this is the appreciation. Look at somebody made this meal for me. Like, I can't just dive in like an animal. I have to slow it down, you know? And sensitivity to the feelings of the person who has not yet started to eat, but made all this for you, okay? So all of those things. So there's a whole bunch of um, mitzvahs inherent in that one mitzvah of honoring parents that come out, they're brilliant. They're, they, and they make parent, the parenting journey so much easier. So it's a natural fit there, but there's many other natural fits. For example, um, the laws of how we as human beings are supposed to speak to people. Like, you know, we're, we're all supposed to speak to everybody in a certain way that doesn't hurt their feelings. Well, parents are hurting their kids' feelings all the time, just by the way we speak, you know? And um, there's a million Jewish laws of impact here. It's just a great natural blend. One of the things that's really fascinating is that things have trended so casually. And so when you would read for the uninitiated or for the person that, you know, again, like, you know, most, most observant Jewish families or somewhat knowledgeable families understand the basis of kosher, the basics of Shabbat, but like the laws of, of Kibbutz Aim, there's a lot of them. And it's not kind of in the, in the, in, it's not like one of the common things that we I'm present company excluded, of course, but the, but the, the idea of having this level of formality in a world that has, you know, after the 60s and now, you know, many, many years since, we live in such a, an informal world where parents so desperately want to be liked by their kids and they're afraid of putting their foot down or creating strong borders. How do you help parents learn to step into that role without becoming tyrannical? Well, right. So the, uh, actually, I wrote a little booklet for Project Derek on that subject it was called Raising, I think something like Raising Lovable Children. And the point is that once you have a child who does actually speak to you according to the way he should, you know, in a proper tone of voice and asking you and not, not um, pushing you around or bossing you around, but there's the, what happens is that the child becomes easier to love. And the child gets more positive from the parent. And that's very important for the child's development. So we can sell the parents a little bit that way, that in fact, a child who is obnoxious, it gets, um, you know, it's just gets a lot of negative looks even from the parental face. And that is harmful to the child. Um, in terms of, yeah, that formality, you know, even when I was a child way back a long time ago, you know, we called our parents' friends, um, like, aunt and uncle so-and-so. I, I used to thought I had a bunch of relatives who it turned out not to be relatives, right? You would never call an adult by their first name. Now people will sometimes call their parents by their first name and their teachers by their first name. Um, you know, in the world at large, it's kind of like, oh, you know, the 30-year-old and the 40-year-old and the five-year-old, we're all on the same plane. And parents are afraid to take that leadership role. Now you can be a, a wonderful leader, a loving leader, a warm leader, uh, a fair leader, a respectful leader. You don't have to be an abusive leader just because you're a leader. And, and that's, people mistake that. Like, oh, if I get into the grown-up position and actually guide and lead and teach, then I'm going to be mean. <laughs> not, you don't have to be mean. You can do a very good job, but you'll have to learn the skills of it. You know? so, um, and then you're much more powerful in guiding your children to, wait, to the values and the things that you think are important. 
Um, when you give that up and everything is like, let the child run the show, the child unfortunately has no parents. It's like a self-raising, it's like a weed in the garden, just like growing, you know, without cultivation. One of the, one of the big challenges that I think it kind of is in all areas of growth in life is that there's a certain level of, of terror or fear when it comes to starting something. It's, is it ever too late? Is there ever a point where, you know, like an, maybe an age, you know, maybe, maybe if, if a child is 50 years old, you know, maybe, maybe the, the, the window's closed, but like, is there a window that closes on your ability to sort of reframe the relationship with your child? Or is it whenever you start learning it, you can change yeah, it? No. First of all, I once had a 60-year-old client whose 80-year-old mother finally told him that she loved him. And, he, and he's like, the tears are pouring down. And the reason for that is um, the child ego state within us is always a child. So vis-a-vis -vis our parents, we are always five years old, okay? They can be 95 and we're 75, but we're 75 in our five-year-old state, okay? Like we're an old five-year-old. <laughs> so um, when it comes to that and- I'm sorry to stop you. Do, is that, what age, are you saying five is just kind of throwing it out there? Or is like yeah. kind of what age do we freeze frame in our, you know, the inner child? What I say is that in, it's like cement, okay? And for the first five years, the cement is soaking wet and parents are laying their footprint in that cement, okay? Five so one, to ten, one through five, for the most part. Yeah, five to 10, that's, it's still very wet, okay? So parents have a big imprint there too. Between 10 and 20, the cement is beginning to dry. And by 20, it's like, it's kind of hardened. Now, if you want to go change what happened there, you need a, a sonic boom drill. You have to open up the whole thing and, and you know, renovate. AKA a therapist. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Right. But, but having said that, the child ego state is still waiting forever for the right response from parents. So the parent, only the parent has a way of penetrating right through all those layers forever. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's never too late. <laughs> and, and as, as, and as perhaps this is way too general of a question, but what, what is the child looking for? from the parents? Is it, is it the guidance? Is it the love? Like, is there, a, is there one or two main things, messages that are sort of universal that parents need to make sure this is what I'm really focusing on imbuing my child with? I, I think one of the universal ones is that a child wants to be seen and accepted as he or she is. Okay, so yeah, for themselves. It's very, it's challenging to do that because parents are always, they have their own vision in mind of what the child should think do. I'm, I'm so sorry with my clients. This is something that I, that I like, I spend hours on. And so I, I want to ask you as the, as the professional here, when it, how do you rectify, how do you show this intrinsic validation when you do have so many expectations for the child? Because I think that that just becomes us later in life is it's like, well, I have to make this amount of money, but deep down underneath, it's like, I'm not accepting myself. And therefore I feel like that's good. So how do you, how do you walk that balance between showing love and acceptance of the core child while still having the expectations of them to become what you define as a healthy, successful person? Well, let's make it simple. Let's say you want to teach your child, because one of the things you think your child needs to know is how to swim, okay? That's also a mitzvah from the Torah, okay? So let's say your child doesn't want to know how to swim. He feels like he hates water. It's not for him. He hates the whole idea. His natural personality is something else. He doesn't want to swim, okay? 
So we start off by at least seeing and accepting where the child is at. Mm. Um, the way I sort of like, so we, we say to the child, I know you don't like, you don't like the water, you don't like the cold, you don't enjoy swimming. It's not something you want to do, right? And so the child feels like we've got it, right? And we try to avoid the word, but, but you have to do it anyways. I don't care who you are, what you are. You know, we go like period, pause, and here's the story. We start with and if you want, or period, pause, new sentence, okay? Not the word, but, which is an eraser. Get rid of everything. So um, the thing is, it's my responsibility to teach you to swim in order to be safe. And it's something we have to do. And the, what we can do here is try and soften the blow of it. You know, I, I can, we can go to swimming lessons and go out for coffee after donuts and whatever, treats, whatever you want, you know. Um, we can do this or that to make it better, but we do have to go, you know. So um, the way I look at this when we educate a child, we, the education part, I say that the parent is like um, a train on a track. So here's the, um, here's the parent, the engine, okay? Here's the kid, the caboose, right? So um, if parents start to, like, well, you have to learn to swim because swimming is going to save your life one day, blah, 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 you know, uh, go down the track by yourself. The gap between the caboose and the engine gets larger and there's a distance. And the parent is actually, has no effect whatsoever on the caboose by going down the track by yourself. When you back up and hook onto the caboose, through seeing, accepting, acknowledging, validating what we call emotional coaching the child, I see you don't want to go to swimming, you don't want to go to the dentist, you don't want to go to the doctor, blah, blah, blah. Um, you don't want to study, you don't want to do your homework, I understand, I hated it myself. Hook, now we're going to go down the track together. Here's the thing, we have to go to school. You know? <laughs> That's so amazing, I love that. I, I want to be very respectful of your time. I have one more question if possible, and then maybe you'll tell, tell the viewers how they can find out more about you and, and, and work with you yeah. potentially. When it, when it comes to religion, and let's say, you know, in, in our case, you know, Orthodox Judaism, there's a lot of you shoulds. And there's also the same level of, of, of concern that the parents don't want to jam something down the, the kid's throat and make them hate it, which I think is, you know, overwhelmingly, you have to play that long game. But what are some tips and techniques? Let's just say Friday night comes around and the kids are running around screaming and you, you want to have your, you know, Shabbos meal. Like, how do you, how do you navigate that kind of a thing? I mean, one thing that's a turnoff is that, yeah, the kids are running around screaming because they're kids, right? But when the parents are running around screaming, <laughs> it's a different problem. The, 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 the parents have to be... Um, screaming at the kids to sit down at the table. What, or at each other. Or at each other. Like, what, whenever there's um, negativity, it's a turnoff for, um, basically for religion. So if you're, you know, if you're not happy in your life as a human being, and you're, 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 that's one big turnoff. Like, well, you know, maybe the religion made you miserable or look at you, you're, you know, it's so big on observing all these commandments, but you're just a miserable beast person. I don't want any part of it, you know? Um, or if the Friday night dinner, you know, and the parents are screaming, this is a holy meal. You're going to sit down here and like whatever, you know? And it's such a painful thing. The child will want no part of it, obviously. So we do need the skill to get the kids to the table without using anger as a parenting tool. So when we have that skill, then everything falls from there. So we can have a pleasant meal. We can be telling jokes at the table. It can be loving. And then we want that old, the child want that, wants that table for himself when he grows up because it was such a positive experience. Outstanding. So what, what the big takeaway for me was that parenting, like everything else in life, is a skill that can be learned. There are some great parents that are born probably, but those also probably learned all the skills. Um, so thank you so much for being a forefront on this, on this, on this experience. Tell me more how 
our viewers can find you, learn from you, be a part of the, the important work you're doing? Well, one thing everybody can do is sign up for, um, I send out an email every day, daily parenting posts, they're called, and, um, well, four days a week, actually. And they're little tidbits of, you know, parenting thoughts, tips, and, what, and whatever. And you can sign up for those at dailyparentingpost.com, okay? You also could go to my website, sarahhannahradcliffe.com, and just see what other things I'm doing. On daily parenting posts on the shopping page, I have a lot of courses and webinars I produce for parenting, so if people are interested in learning in-depth stuff in video format. I have that in books. I have Raise Your Kids Without Raising Your Voice. I have a lot of, uh, I have the Jewish books, Harmony at Home and um, whatever I forget, a bunch of, <laughs> I got a lot of books. That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, there's a lot of things I'm doing. I'm also on um, something called Jewish Workshops. I'm actually running a weekly webinar called The Family Circle, and it's about parenting, marriage, personal stress, everything. And we meet in a live webinar weekly. So Jewish Workshops at JewishWorkshops.com if you want to join me that way. I'm around Instagram at Sarah Hannah Ratcliffe. You do all this stuff. That it's, it's crazy. Sorry, I'm, I'm going to add, like, how, how do you structure your time in terms of, like, do, do you have a whole team that you work with? Like, it sounds insane, the amount of stuff you're doing. It is insane. I actually have a full-time job practicing psychology. That's from like nine to five or six. And then I do all these things afterwards. Um, and I don't sleep much. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. That, that in and of itself is unbelievably inspiring. Thank you so much for doing all that. That's great. Yeah. Yes. It's my passion. Amazing. Okay. Sarah Hunter Radcliffe, thank you so much. I don't know why I threw your last name in there, but thank you. Oh, yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> so good. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. Thank uh, I thank you so much. Take care. There you have it, folks, another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. Uh, we have a ton of amazing speakers coming up and also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.